number of years ago, maybe 10 years ago or so, my co-host of Paratopia and I helped in our teeny tiny way to fund a trip by the Kogi Nation's mystics called the Mamus. Mystics is probably the wrong word. I'll probably not get the right word. They're called Mamus. Are they the healers? Are they the mystics? Are they the shaman? You know, all of these words that we, in our Western way, sort of smear over each other um, to try to get at what it means to be really a scientist of of a broader sense of dimensionality. Uh, so whatever word you want to put on that, whatever that is, that's what the Kogi Mamu are. And so... Uh, some of the Kogi and Amamu or two uh, were flying to New York from their home in the Sierra Nevadas in Colombia. Um, because the Dalai Lama was giving a talk, I think, in New Jersey, and uh, they needed to meet him to try to, I guess, make their case that he needs to speak up on their behalf because, I mean, essentially their homes are being taken from them by. The government. Uh, and as one of the last uh, really untouched nature cultures in the world, uh, it's important for all of us to want to preserve them and, and preserve that mind as best we can in the onslaught of our quote-unquote modernity. Uh, so... As I say, we helped in our little way to um, crowdfund for them via our podcast. And so, uh, and you know, the money wasn't just taken. This is how meticulous they are. It wasn't, they didn't just take all money accepted to them. They had to actually, in whatever way they do, uh, come to understand, visualize, or however that is in that mystical way, um, who these sources of money were. And if um, that money were was tainted or was pure enough to pass their sniff test. And so I guess our, our means of raising money was pure enough to pass the sniff test. And in fact, I was invited to uh, go to one of the meetings with them in upstate New York, but I, I couldn't make it, unfortunately. But I heard all about it. <laughs> And one of the things that I heard that was pretty amazing was uh, some of the people walking with them from New York were embarrassed about street pollution because uh, here are these pure people from mountains, right? They've never been on a plane. They've never been outside their space, uh, at least physically. And um, here they are confronted with what we've done with the world, right? The The world that we are... Uh, creating to to replace them with, right, is this polluted, destructive, selfish, you know, bunch of um, inventions of a mind that discards and replaces as quickly as the next shiny object is invented. So uh, they encountered plastic out somewhere. Um, I think on a sidewalk and, you know, as the Westerners were all apologetic, the, the Kogi were actually, um, I don't know if fascinated or enthralled is the word, but they were, um, 
studying it, this piece of plastic, and they 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 brought it in amongst the the mamu. They 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 examined this piece of discarded plastic on a sidewalk, and um, so one of my friends asked them, "What what are you doing? What is so enticing about this?" And one of the mamu said through a translator that um, they wanted to bring the piece of plastic back with them when they went home so that they could uh, figure out what was in the mind of the the people who invented this. Now, just sit with that for a minute. Sit with the people whose knowing, whose depth of understanding, whose uh, ability to read the world is so great that they could pick up a piece of junk off the sidewalk and reverse engineer the meaning behind it or somehow come to the mind of the likely men who invented it. And why, why did they do it? What was in their minds? Um, I mean, that to me is just fascinating and uh, meticulous and goes into the meticulousness and the preciseness of any people of nature cultures I've had the fortune of getting to know. Um, There is a meticulousness there. There is precision there. There is a direct understanding through being, which, you know, being with nature, being in nature, immersed, which is actually a more direct experience of reality than that once removed position our scientists take of observing and writing down the repeatability factor and then claiming that that repeatable thing is the whole of reality. Um, proof. We need proof. So these are two different minds, but whose uh, function in this world demand the same sort of uh, precision. I mean, if you want a re- repeatability factor, it's the intelligence it takes to be a scientist or to be a mamu are, is probably similarly disciplined in, in some sense, you know. And now let's just expand that out and say that on this show, uh, what we've done in the first season specifically and in the second season more broadly or loosely uh, is exactly that, is reverse engineering ourselves, right? Is taking this piece of discarded junk called you and me <laughs> and uh, and seeing why we invented ourselves in the first place. See what goes into being a persona, being a person. And ultimately, it, it y- you have to do that on a personal level because the social stuff that we're talking about in this season uh, always ends up back at the personal because the social is personal. It's people. The society is comprised of people. Cultures are comprised of people. So you're going to eventually come back to yourself. It's going to be relatable to you, whatever this big social problem is. And ultimately, all of these social problems and personal problems are dysfunctional expressions of our dysfunctional selves, of our partial, quote-unquote, nature or at least how we treat ourselves. You know, when we talk about human nature, uh, when you think about like a Shakespearean play or um, 
a movie, a parable, a story that that illuminates something of human nature. It's not actually illuminating anything of human nature. It's illuminating how we behave in our partiality. It gets to the symptoms, uh, but not the fact that we're not our wholeness. We're not expressing wholeness. Um, and so that's why they play in a loop for thousands of years. That's why Shakespeare is hundreds of years old and it's still applicable today and people are still addicted to acting out these plays because they derive some meaning from it. Or so they think. But the meaning is just a broken record. It's just on a loop. It doesn't actually get us anywhere. It makes us feel better about those those small cuts, but the deep wound never heals. Because the deep wound is not jealousy and anger and hatred and greed and lust and desire and all of that per se. The deep wound is that we are not our whole full expressions of ourselves, and instead of dealing with that, we call that fact human nature. And we say, that is what we are. So we'll just keep putting Band-Aids on these symptoms forever and ever and ever. And we'll do that because the symptoms pop up to tell us exactly the truth of ourselves, the deepest of unconscious secrets that we keep from ourselves. And the reason we do that is because to deal with that is to so fundamentally shatter you that you die while alive. And the self doesn't want to die while alive. The self wants to live. And so the self wants to heal, heal the self, right? We'll say, we'll heal ourselves. We'll go to a psychotherapist. We'll, um, we'll learn from our friends, our priests, or whatever it is. We'll go on a meditation retreat. We'll say our alms. We'll get to that place, man. Well, guess what? <laughs> there ain't no self-help where the annihilation of self is concerned. And that is, in fact, our deepest fear. And the only leap of faith anyone ever has is to understand this, just as I am saying it, without moving anywhere on it. Don't move forward with it. Don't regress backwards and, and retreat from it. Just sit with it. Um, the leap of faith is that is into the unknown, into annihilation. And this is what we deal with at ourundoing.com. Not suicide, so let's not get this twisted into some crazy guru nonsense. Um you know, as in a cult or something, but simply the death of self um, while, while you are alive. I mean, we're not talking about bodily death. We're talking about egoic death. The reason I have to keep making that clear is because our minds want to run to the nearest analogy and say, oh, God, I've heard of that. That's, oh, run. Or... Maybe your analogy embraces it. Oh, that sounds kind of like Buddhism or something in Hinduism or... Yeah, yeah, no, I've already done that. We'll do anything to not uh, sit with understanding, to not undo. <laughs> One of the most effective ways to remain as we are is to say that we're moving forward by simply switching up the masks that go over the modus operandi. So in the larger social, cultural perspective, uh, that means we say with science that um, 
science is a step beyond religion. It's transcended religion. Um, this, this need for proof transcends the want for belief. Uh, but the fact is, our modern science was born of um, Christianity, you know, as a replacement to Christianity. I mean, think about, like, the Jews are the chosen people. So you start from the proposition that you're the chosen people. So just by simply being born into Judaism, you are, you are chosen. Uh, but then if you convert to Christianity, you're born again, right? And now, instead of being chosen, you are special when you choose to be born again into Christianity. And now we have uh, alone at the top of the food chain, our sense of science. We are the God. We're no longer being chosen passively. We're no longer choosing actively. Um, we simply are that. And so this is sort of the religious version of the personal fortification of the sense of self. You know, you as the center of the world. It's a uh, social narcissism. I mean, when you start there with science and materialism, especially, uh, your imagination and your reductive reasoning tend to skew that way to keep you alone with a sense of power. So the thing that's important is that you are correct. You are right. You have the knowledge until someone can come along and prove you wrong. That's the type of thinking that goes hand in hand there. But maybe this isn't clear. I mean, if, if we look at medicine, right? I mean, just think about the, the Western arrogance of medicine, which is, um, well, and it's not even Western. It's um, because here in Hawaii, I'll give you the example of Hawaii. Let's take it away from uh, white people for a second here. In the beginning, there were uh, people, <laughs> and we'll keep it a mystery as to where they were from, but there were pre-Tahitian a thousand or so years ago. And then the Tahitians came here, um, and they saw that these people were living lawlessly, uh, that is to say, freely. <laughs> they didn't have any sort of power structures and hierarchies in place, so the Tahitians said, ah, we can... Uh, we can do this. We can, we can take these people over. And part of what um, helped them to be able to do that was that they brought their diseases with them, right? We've heard this story before. They brought their diseases with them, and so the Hawaiians didn't have any immunity to these diseases. So they would get sick, and they would start to die. But the Tahitians also brought with them the medicine because they had been dealing with these diseases. So... They brought with them the medicine for their own diseases and gave them to the Hawaiians. And then the Hawaiians thought, oh, wow, these people have some real magic here, some real power. They're able to fight off these diseases. They hadn't put it together in their head that they brought the disease with them, uh, but that they had the power to fight this disease, right? So in that way, the Titians were, uh, in the beginning, seen as powerful people. And... We do that, too, to this day here in the Americas and in Europe and elsewhere, uh, where we create disease, we create discomfort, and then as quickly as we can, we resolve those issues. And then we pat ourselves on the back for being able to 
solve disease, the diseases that we're causing. So we don't actually deal with the cause. We just deal with the diseases as they pop up and then give ourselves a pat on the back. But actually, the diseases themselves are telling us that we are out of balance, that we're living wrongly, and something needs to change. But, recurring theme here, instead of dealing with the root of the problem, we just switch up the false solution that leads to more problems. We have a prescription drug that has side effects that uh, then become their own effects, right? Or... Um, we have diseases caused from obesity. And so instead of actually just saying, eat, eat right, here's how to do that and exercise, here's how to do that. We, uh, we scour the earth for like other cultures that are kind of thin (laughs) and we go, oh, they're eating a lot of this. So let's, um, let's only eat this. That'll be the new diet. And Dietitians will write books about the new miracle cure, the cure-all food, the miracle food. Eat this. Um, and then you eat that, and you become um, imbalanced in another way, because it wasn't that wasn't the only ingredient in the food, and it probably went along with this entire way of life, you know, that, that contributes to those people being physically healthy. Um... We can't ignore all that. We can't cut out all the parts we don't like for the part we like. That's not health. That's just that's just greed. That's wanting to further yourself, your unhealthy self, in the face of actual health. And um, but calling that progress, right? Calling that oh, we're we're getting somewhere. We're evolving our knowledge of how to diet, <laughs> right? And, and so the overarching thing that all of this is doing in the social sense is, as I said before, keeping us alone with our sense of power. It doesn't matter that paranormal activity and things that are considered ufological activity um, have existed since antiquity, have existed since we can remember. It doesn't matter. Um, in the modern age, None of that stuff's real until a scientist can prove it, one step at a time, meticulously documenting. Uh, There isn't life on other planets unless it's a microorganism, something that we can control. Uh, Which isn't to say that UFO reports definitely indicate alien life or anything like that, but the fact that that is the story that is in the culture, and yet the guardians of what we're supposed to consider knowledge and facts won't even look at that, but they'll go to Mars because of a microbe that they found that may or may not be from Mars. And then they'll accidentally put our microbes on Mars (laughs) and start the whole colonialism arrogance thing all over again. Soon we'll be going to Mars to, Cure the Martian terrain of the diseases that we have brought. Hooray! I mean, this is just what we do, right? And this isn't to say that scientists are bad people or anything like that. It's to say that when science or anything, science is just the flavor of the day, when when anything becomes um, the go-to explanation for life, the universe, and everything, it's a religion. And that religion isn't really about the exterior God or the truth or the facts. 
It's about the priests in power. It's about containing the people in a mindset. And that doesn't mean that there's some sort of um, secret cabal of scientists hatching a plan to keep us all focused on Star Trek or something like that. Uh, no, it's just how the mind works when it avoids wholeness, as ours does. Uh, it seeks to contain that wholeness within itself, within the partial. You can't drag the whole into the part, but here we are trying. Um, and that always inevitably ends up in the hands of a super cunning, intelligent uh, few who are smart enough to develop their own language and then um, disseminate it to the masses in teachable moments. <laughs> you know, like, this is what the Bible was for, and now this is what scientific texts are for and mathematical texts are for. I mean, there's a reason they don't speak in plain language, folks. They can control the dissemination of information. They can be the smart people in the room. That feels powerful. That feels godlike. It's a shallow surface replication of wholeness within the self. I know of all the episodes, this one's going to turn the most people off, probably. Because, um... Intellectual types, sciencey folks, are not exactly big fans of exposing the Judeo-Christian shape of science. They hate it when you say science is the new religion and scientists are the new priests, but then they turn around and expect us to wait to see if what they have to say about reality jives with our experiences for our experiences to be validated, right? As we just said. They demand that they have the stamp of approval on how life works. And that, folks, is religion. And I don't think cultures that are already living in equilibrium with the rest of life are waiting to be validated by scientists. I mean, can you imagine if you lived in a nation of people who have existed here for thousands of years, like in environments that, that are unimaginable to us, like jungles or deserts, or just these really harsh terrains up in the mountains, the nosebleed section, as it were. This is where they live, and this is what they know. And then uh, some scientist from a quote-unquote modern culture comes along and says, um, yeah, I, I have no proof that anything you say, how life works here, actually works here. In fact, I don't believe it, so... And meanwhile, it's like, wait, but we've been existing this way for like hundreds and thousands of years. So um, <laughs> if we were just imagining it, wouldn't we have died off a long time ago from the elements and the like the jaguars and stuff? <laughs> Isn't the factier fact about our need for proof that... We don't trust other cultures because we don't trust ourselves. We find ourselves untrustworthy. And also, again, it's because this is the way that we can arrogantly claim to have discovered something and then own it. This ownership thing is the sense in which science is an extension of the Old Testament thinking. The original sin of the Bible, and I don't mean within the Bible, the sense of the story of original sin, but the original sin of the Bible itself is that it presents a God who forces you to bend to his will either with punishments actionable by death or by withholding heaven, right? Like, these are what the Bible are about. You believe in me, you do what I say, or else. 
And our response is to become a shadow of that with our having been made in God's image and having dominion over the earth. We, like God, are a conquering force, in other words. That is our response. And now we've passed that trait on to science. As we keep trying to reduce the world to our mind, whether it be through religion, through science, through the New Age, through good old-fashioned psychological narcissism, whatever it is, however we do this, that's the thing we're doing. And again, we can switch up the masks. We can switch up even the scale on which we're doing it. We can say we're doing it as a society or just doing it individually. And the fact is, it's all us. We're, we're all doing that through all of these various reactions to the fact that we're not whole. We're not self-identifying in our wholeness. We're simply stewing in our partialness and saying, that is the wholeness. That's all there is. If there's more to the universe, bring it to me. I'll concoct a mathematical formula and that'll explain it. We'll cure it. It's a problem. And if it's out of our hands, it's in God's hands. The God that we invented. The God we wish we were. And we choose to bring that secret to our graves rather than dying while alive. We would rather spend thousands of years saying that everything in life is out of my hands, I give it to God, and then transitioning that into, oh, wait, I'm an active participant in this. In fact, I am just as creative as God. I'm not just made in his image. I'm him. The Frankenstein monster is Frankenstein himself, or herself, bride of Frankenstein. (laughs) Sorry. And what's next on that religious road to immortality? The one that says, uh, I'm no longer just giving myself up to a god and then receiving heaven. That's too passive. I am that god. Well, that god then has to create heaven. So if you have to create heaven, (laughs) and this world just isn't good enough for you, then guess what? You trash the place and you leave. You leave by saying, I'm going to go to another planet and terraform it. Or you leave by saying, I'm going to build a computer virtual reality and I'm going to inject myself into it. My soul is going to join the cloud or somehow the neuronal workings of my brain are going to uh, somehow be transposed via numbers into the computer system. However that works, we really imagine ourselves evolving ourselves into artificial immortality. How is that any different than any Bible that these people believe they have transcended. The lyrics change, but the song is the same. We've all become Weird Al Yankovic, and we don't even know it. (laughs) You're welcome.